1: You're listening to the Strangers in China Holiday Special. Just kidding, that's not really what this is. So, here's the thing. I was supposed to have a brand new episode for y'all out this week. But circumstances conspired against me. For one, the studio we were supposed to use was under construction. I was supposed to have a co-host, but that fell through at the last minute. And also, I've just like been working my butt off trying to promote the show... Um, by doing some live events, so I just have been really, really busy. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had our first live event, uh, talking to strangers, and I think it went really, really well. We had a bunch of really enthusiastic fans and just friends come out, um, and we had a really good conversation. There were three panelists from previous episodes who came out and gave a little talk, and I asked them follow-up questions about like where what their life's been like since their episodes have aired. It just felt like we're we're building a really nice sense of community here with this show. So that was really cool. All this extra work I've been doing, all this promotion, and just other circumstances led me to just be a little bit behind on my production schedule. So I'm really sorry that there's no new episode this week. But I have something for you that I think you'll still enjoy. This week, I'm going to give you bonus content, stuff that you haven't heard before. One final thing I want to say before we start the show. If you love the show, or if you just like the show, just do me a favor, share it on social media. Uh, That really, really makes a difference. I make this show for as wide an audience as I can, because I think that we should get to know China in a different way. I want to get stories that are a little different, that are a little bit on the fringe, from people that are different, people that want to try to live a different way we're trying to have like a deeper and more nuanced look at people here in china so if you're into that share us on social media you can add us on facebook at strangers in china you can get us on instagram also at strangers in china share share something about our show share an episode that you like or tweet about us you can tweet about us at stranger in china retweet us etc If you all give me this little love, I can keep bringing you more content and good stuff. Um, We're trying to expand our reach. We're trying to look into stories outside of Shanghai. Anyway, thanks for all the love so far, and keep listening. So today's episode is our bonus episode. We'll hear from the people we've come to know so far. We'll just hear some stuff that we didn't get to cover in some of the episodes. These clips weren't cut out of the episodes because they weren't interesting. They're just parts that didn't make the cut maybe because they weren't on topic or maybe they just didn't fit into a tighter narrative. Sometimes what people say is wildly speculative and it's hard to fact check these things, so some of the clips you're gonna hear are just broad ideas that people wanted to speculate about and I find that all very interesting. So first out of the grab bag is Lily from chapter one. In this clip, she's explaining what inspires her to write. With all of my writer friends, I find it very interesting to see just how ordinary or how bizarre the things are that give them inspiration. The inspiration for Lily's Rotten Girls story was a very messy roommate and a cat that pooped all over her apartment.
2: The Rotten Girls, the main character, okay the protagonist is that the word yeah. is my roommate and she is very young she just graduated from university and she moved to Shanghai to get her job but she is dirty dirty okay dirty untidy so this kind of thing and I suffered a lot living with her because the common area the living room and the kitchen is a mess and I you know, I I just think this is lowering my living standards and this is giving me a hard time. So um, when I returned from the Spring Festival, something, the prompt, the writing prompt was something bad happened. Uh, when I returned from the Spring Festival, the cat was in the apartment for the whole week and she has no place to poo, so she shitted everywhere in the bathtub. It took me like half an hour to think what to do, and have an hour to get rid of the shit. This is something bad happened. I just won't make it in the story. And I also remembered, uh, just on my journey in Australia, I remember this, so that's the moment I created, uh, and then I just made it into a piece.
1: I also found the name Rotten Girl so peculiar, so I asked her how she came up with it, and sort of what does it mean?
2: This line, um, It is a little detached from the story. The first half of the sentence um, is from an English textbook. That's what I learned. And this sentence lingered like for all the time. It didn't go away. Um, And I don't know why I put these two together, but others commented. They said because I had the anxiety about aging. And it's like a lot recently. So I just like put it there. Like deteriorate here is like aging. It is keeping some moments of life. Recently, I read something. It says like some way to preserve yourself is to, one is to physically having baby and another is creating something. So writing, um, it is having something long lasting about yourself. Like today, I sent you the one of my writing and now I came to uh, read it. I feel like the memories came back to me. I feel like it's very meaningful to write that. Otherwise, nobody would know their story, but if you pass it to others, they will know, okay, they are such a person, and they will get the feelings from you. And like, like even, they are just like photos.
1: So in researching Chapter 2 about Storm, a local Shanghai comedian, I watched a lot of his comedy. In some of his older stuff, he made a lot of jokes about his ethnicity, about being Chinese. But then in his more recent comedy, he sort of curbed that. He doesn't do so much of that. So I asked him why.
0: Maybe it's funny, but it's but it's not what I wanted. I don't know. Like because people, I posted on uh. Western media and the Chinese media okay so Western media maybe post, on, post it also on my Facebook and uh, my uh, uh, Twitter account people like it but I don't know if they like it for the wrong reasons and because uh, Westerners they don't really tell you right Like if they, if they laugh for wrong reasons they don't tell you okay whereas here in China people directly tell me they go hey you're smearing our whole race. You, you kind of like degrading Asian people, right? I'm like, no, that's not the point, right? But you know, that got me thinking. I mean, I'm not affected by anyone in terms of writing jokes. But sometimes that got me thinking: should I, should I do this or or that? Should I, uh, still? I mean, maybe if that were me now, I would do that joke in a different delivery and uh, different perspectives, different approach into that, I still think that's like a worthwhile topic to, of,
1: of course, joke about. So over the course of the show so far, I've talked to four advocates for the queer community here in Shanghai. And we've covered a lot of issues, but one issue that came up in all of my interviews that we just never got around to discussing in the episodes themselves is the relationship between the local Chinese queer community and the foreign queer community that lives here in Shanghai. The queer community in Shanghai has a lot of connection to the foreign queer community. There are a lot of exchanges through necessity in many ways, because in China, so much of queerness is erased or silenced. And the local queer community in China finds broader community with foreigners, especially in Shanghai. With the exchanges, with the two cultural exchanges between foreigners and Chinese, there inevitably are some conflicts. Here's Ashley from chapter three, talking about how she sees China's two main cultural hubs, Beijing and Shanghai, and how foreign cultural influence works in those cities
3: yeah i would say shanghai is the most inclusive is a very good place for queer people to live i would say because of a lot of international influence compared to beijing which is a political center china uh, shanghai is more cultural and more economical economic. So people care about the money. They care about fashion and style. They care about cultural events. They don't really care about like those political stuff as people in Beijing do. Um, and for the local queer community, there there is like Shanghai Pride, which is in its twelfth year, I think. But this event uh, was started by a bunch of foreigners. I don't really want other foreigners from like the locals. But I can see why some people criticize this event because they will feel, they say, okay, this is too foreign, this is too elite. Those people who organize these events, they speak good English and for most of the events are English only even. So for people in Shanghai who don't necessarily speak good English, who don't have those overseas experience and who don't really make that much money they might feel excluded. They feel they want something more grassrooty. So that's why people applaud Beijing more, because Beijing, you have the Beijing LGBT Center and the Beijing Gender Institute. So these nonprofits provide like counseling services. They provide some hotlines that can answer your questions or suicidal prevention. So these nonprofits provide real help to people in need versus in Shanghai, we throw out those fancy parties and really cool art exhibitions, and also, you know, all these very colorful events. These are very important. They are both applaudable, um, but things can definitely be a lot better.
1: Ting from chapter four expresses her gratitude for the cultural influences foreigners bring to the Chinese queer community. But she also feels like sometimes that culture that's sort of international clashes a little bit with the Chinese queer culture. Um and that it feels a little bit too exclusive in certain ways.
4: So most of the events they are hosted in English and uh that's not a bad thing. I mean I mean it's fine. You can host it in English. Um but the strong the strong culture behind it or the concept that that, that created this event or even sometimes the things that they are showing or they're promoting is really Western. It's from West. It's from the West. So say we have, now we have, I'm not saying these are bad events, right? Okay. I'm just saying like they are quite Westernized. One of my great friend, uh, Michael did this party called Medusa and which is one of the best queer nights in probably Asia or the world. It's Amazing. It's really amazing. When you go in, the, the entire night, the atmosphere, the music, the people, it's mental. It's really great. It's like you have such a great time there. You never fail. It never fails you. But when you're thinking about it, the, the, the DJ culture, the uh, drag culture, music that's played there, which is mainly 70, 80, disco, house, they're all from the West. You're immersed in a Western... All these things are Western. I'm not saying they're bad. They're really great. We love them. But without a sense of knowing what 70s and 80s disco means to the community, what this drag culture and who divine is, without knowing all these things, looking at the poster, going into this event, as a very Chinese person, you feel confused even though it's great music and great dance and people around you are so beautiful, you feel confused. So I'm thinking, you know, that's a great night, but that doesn't really connect to you. When, you. when we wanted to do the Queer Film Festival, we were thinking the films we show, we are not saying we're not showing Western films, we're not showing, that's definitely not possible, but we are showing more films uh, that's connected to our culture And the primary language that we are going to do in this event is Chinese. The discussion will be held in Chinese. The guests should be mainly from Chinese. The topic we talk about is local. And just all these things, we wanted to, you know, hit the local audience.
1: One way queer culture is translated from abroad into the queer community here in Shanghai is through the use of terms. Many of the terms the queer community uses in China are just English terms. And Xie Xiao, from Chapter 4, wonders why that is. He also describes how some of those terms are being translated and finding their new place in the Chinese language.
5: I had this conversation with Lilian earlier. Like, why is all the events like, uh, funded by the foreigners? Yeah, because all the queer culture and the terms, they come from the Western world. In China, like, we don't have that term. We have to learn from that. So that we can understand and then we can build our, uh, our own culture. Uh, one of the Chinese audience said that why is like every term like the LGBT that like, all from Western? What about our own? Like, why don't we like build from our own culture? Like we're using, we have to translate first. At uh, some we haven't translate yet. We have to use the English term. Do you know that we don't, uh, in China, we don't have a visual translation for trans? That people can't tell the difference between trans or transgender. Yeah. Trans and transgender, they don't know that difference than that. Then then, like we, uh, Lillian came up with an idea, you know, like the queer, in Chinese, queer. Mm -hmm. So we translate trans into queer. Queer. Yeah, it's something like queer. it's so a cool bit. It's not like the bit, Not we move the gender part bit. It's like transcend.
1: I had a really long interview with Sybil from Chapter Four, and we, we really went all over the place. We touched on many more topics than just Cinema Q. One of the topics we talked about was why does the Chinese government fear feminism so much? What is the underlying problem with empowered women?
6: But now they need they, they need more new babies. And uh, I wouldn't say that feminists is to encourage people not to get married, but it definitely gives people the option to think that how women has been treated in marriage traditionally in China. I wouldn't say it's true, but I've, I've seen it every time is that basically as a woman, you have to work. So China has, I don't know, like one of the highest uh, like numbers of, of working women like yeah. compared to the population. So, because we like be, because of the historical events, we were suddenly given that rights to work and and to be financially uh, independent. But mentally, we never had that movement, mm-hmm. which is usually the other way. You first have a have a social movement, which would uh, which will move things forward until you get you gain more rights. But what happened here is that when the country was first founded. Uh, this, this government was first founded. Uh, we were first given the rights. You see, you, you still see lots of old propaganda posters saying that women is half the sky, mm. and you know all those all those women's looking very I wouldn't say muscular, but they're working and they're very proud. So it started with that, but but uh, mindset wise, we didn't catch up. So women are still expected to do all of the. Uh, Uh, like stay at home that kind of work and basically you're working two jobs because being a mom uh being a housekeeper and being a full-time worker you you have to do all that together and you are expected to do that and if you and if you don't do that and people will be saying that oh no but men are not supposed to touch that you're gonna you're gonna have to protect their manhood um you're a woman if you can't even cook i don't really i don't even see the value of you those are some quotes i've seen uh publicly by celebrities and even influential like industry gurus obviously they're all in their generation they didn't know better but i don't forgive them for saying that because you're setting you're setting very very bad example by saying that uh so that's my guess is that they probably don't want women to be aware of that and they just want women to go back and have babies
1: Something we touched on in chapter four about Cinema Q is this idea of normalization that the queer community here in China should have to make themselves conform to certain normative patterns that society already has in place. But actually, we talked about this with Ashley from chapter three as well. Cherie, in this clip, asks Ashley about this. And Ashley speaks to the fact that there's this deep sense that in China, you have to be respectable if you're going to be a member of the queer community
3: yeah I think that story it's like the social perception is so important to mm-hmm. the parents like right. if if there was like a social shift in the ability to see mm-hmm. you and your work I think it would really help the personal relationships yeah, yeah. they just want to see it get normalized you know because mm-hmm. Chinese people value other people's perceptions so much like very few people dare to be on their own like if your kid has well not not say he or she is a gay person but if he or she gets a tattoo like a piercing oh my god that's horrible because that's so abnormal and so not mainstreamy people love like china is a very collectivist country so they would love be in the group instead of like united states is more individualistic so that's why a lot of activists say well some people say well you really need to have like good social like socioeconomic class before you come out that's so unfair like well one of my interviewees actually said it out loud and during the interview saying okay you really need to be a role model before you come out because otherwise people are just really looked down upon the queer community because you've already been discriminated against and if you are not like very successful economically or socially then why people will respect you so that's like extra burden for the queer community but sadly it might be a very effective strategy like if more like famous people like tim cook like if we have a team cook in china things are going to be so different but I don't really want to count on a famous person to come out for or speak for all of us. We need to save our own lives instead of counting on other people to save ours.
1: So obviously in China, Mandarin is sort of the lingua franca, but everywhere you go has their own dialect. There are so many dialects. Just as an example, I lived in a relatively small city called Zhangjia And within this small city, a city that like most people can't even name, there are four different dialects within the city. I mean, they all kind of sound the same, but they are different. So when I was talking to Sui from chapter five, I really wanted to know about what her dialect sounds like. And so she gave me this little example. Do you, do you speak uh, a Yeah, I do. Really? Like, like the local local yeah. language? Oh,
3: yeah,
4: of
1: course. yeah. What's the local language there?
3: Um, it's very similar to Xianhua. Uh,
1: can you speak it?
3: Speak a little bit of it?
1: So, this is a little Chinese dialect test. What did Sui just say? Turn off the light?
3: Yeah! Turn off the light. Oh, you, you can Wow! Oh, you speak some Chinese. I speak, I
5: speak Mandarin.
3: Yeah. Oh, you speak Mandarin? Yeah. yeah!
1: So, it's not that different.
3: Yeah, it's not that different. You can
1: understand. Like in any culture, there's this strong link between sex and power. But I think it's like especially strong in China. It's really hard to describe, but it seemed like a really, really important element to the story um, of episode six, but I just didn't know how to fit it in. So Ying gives her take on why power is so important to sex in China.
7: Uh, one thing that I think is interesting is that
1: sexuality
7: is so much about power in China, right? I mean, sex, you know, sex is about power, uh, and that's, you know, what Oscar Wilde said already, but think about the, uh, the uh, corrupt officials here, right? Like the typical, um, portrait of a corrupt official is someone, um, who has a lot of houses a lot of cash and a lot of mistresses, right? Like um, some of the f- famous ones have, you know, like t- dozens of mistresses. So there's this, definitely this like over-sexualization that happens. Um, whereas I'm not sure you would, you would see the same, um, you know, elsewhere. So I do think that um, even though there's so much um, suppression in, in popular culture, what it leads to is when someone has power, then they feel like they're above it and they compensate by over sexualization, by by amassing a, you know, a huge number of mistresses. Yeah, I feel like uh, sex is definitely used sometimes as chips, right? Like as bargaining chips, rather, because I think it's n- it's not about you know how I feel about a person. Do I have this like emotional uh, attachment or attraction to a person? But rather, like what can I, like you know, uh, it's it's sort of like trading, right, uh, for power and privileges sometimes.
1: Okay, so real talk, not everyone was totally happy with the stories that I told on my podcast. So, Ting from Chapter Four was really glad that I did a great profile about Cinema Q. Cinema Q is an event that she runs here in Shanghai, and she's definitely proud of it. But she's also the founder and showrunner of the Shanghai Queer Film Festival. And so, although I did interview her about both. Shanghai Queer Film Festival and Cinema Q, I really only used the part about Cinema Q for the actual episode. So she came into the studio and kind of confronted me about it. <sighs> All right, so Ting, you, you've you come to spill the tea with me. What, what What's your problem you have with me right now?
4: Well, like like this... Um, talented You know Enthusiastic men come to me And saying Hey let's do a podcast About your project Which is amazing I'm like Yeah you know what It's gonna be fun And then And then I talked about A lot of things That I do And then you picked Something that is mm, You know Like it's great But like What about my main project Like mm. my main project Like you know the film festival.
1: I listen. I mentioned Shanghai Queer Film Festival in the podcast, but you're right. I definitely focused on Cinema Q.
4: Yeah, I mean Cinema Q is definitely something you should talk about. But Schquiff is also something that really worth talking about.
1: All right. Well, why don't we ameliorate this situation? Why don't we remedy this situation? Why don't Why don't I do like a really good in depth whole piece about Schquiff? Uh. Do you think?
4: Like, how, how deep?
1: Really deep. Get all of the juicy details for sure. Really deep. Yeah.
4: Okay. We like it deep. Right. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> all right, let's do it.
1: I'm serious. You just have to let me know. You just have to let me know. We'll, okay. We'll, 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 get, we'll get it done. Okay. It won't be in, unfortunately, it won't be in this season, but maybe next season. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. Cool.
1: So, you may get to hear more about that next season. And if you're interested in Shanghai Queer Film Festival, you can find them by searching Shanghai Queer Film Festival. And they have a a Facebook and a WeChat page if you're interested. I'll give you a little sneak peek into the things that she has to worry about as the founder of a queer film festival here in China. So this past year, 2019, was the 70th anniversary of the Communist Party taking power So as far as censorship goes, they are really, really on high alert. Now, the Shanghai Queer Film Festival usually happens in September, and the big 70th anniversary celebration happens a month later. So in other words, September, it was a little bit tricky to have your events put on. So they ended up not actually having the big queer film festival, and they're going to sort of spread the queer film festival throughout the year. So this is Ting talking a little bit about that and that process and just how crazy things can be.
4: So, of course, you know, this year is the seventh anniversary of the party. I
1: love parties.
4: Yeah, we love the party. And, And so, well, of course, the country doesn't want anything to go wrong. The government doesn't want anything to go wrong. So, like, big events, uh, such as uh, music festivals, are having problems with, like, being carried out uh, as planned. And rumor is that um, these events will have an um, easier time, uh, organizers will have an easier time, after uh, probably November, mm-hmm. September, because, you know, we're going to have this huge march and celebration on uh, October.
1: So a couple questions I have is like, you say that there's rumors that, you know, you shouldn't maybe do your events during this time, let's say, right? Yeah. What does that mean you hear rumors? Like somebody you know? Who are the people that would know?
4: Oh, well, people who do entertainment business. Okay. Because, you know, like ticketing companies, you you know, like uh, organizers of festivals, of uh, community events. We all have... Problems with uh, carrying out our, our 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 events, and if you have noticed, like um, concrete and grass, the which is one of the most famous music festival in China, it's held each year in Shanghai. This year they can't do it on September. It's usually on September. Right. So this year they are also postponed. If they are gonna happen. We don't know yet, but it's postponed for sure. It's not going to happen in September. Um, So that's a way larger event than us, but that's something you can imagine like they would have like probably official document coming down to them saying like, hey, don't do it on September. Because I remember they usually do it at the end of September, which is around the same time of our festival. And that's right before the national holiday. Uh, we, we, we We don't have official documents coming down to us we got nobody talk to us but our we are aware that the situation now is that uh, not to make any bold move and um, just stay low-key for a while probably for a year but that's fine um, so you're
1: you're you're not going to have this the queer film festival like this whole year but
4: we we are gonna have events so our original plan this year was to have e- events spread out during the entire year but not having a big festival of a week or, like, days during our usual time, which is September. Um, uh, we already did one event in April. That was a big success. It was huge. It was huge, but uh, we were planning on uh, an event in the summer, but then we, we heard something. We heard uh, situations like uh, people got fined, for a huge amount of money uh, because they were organizing screenings, uh, they were screening films without permission from the government so um, uh, that is a huge problem for us it's a big red flag so we are going to stay low key for this one, we, we're not going to do this one for now and we're going to um, probably just stay put for a while and see what's going to happen in November
1: gotcha. um, and just, just to be clear like I'm sure you don't know really but like let's say you were sort of caught what would happen like if you did have an event and you were shut down like what would that mean for the future for the Queer Film Festival
4: I mean first you've got to see like what's the consequence of that shutting down of that one time of shutting down if they say okay we're just shutting you down and uh, you know doesn't say anything else Probably we can do some more private things, but if they, if a fine comes along, if an um, investigation comes along, if and uh, saying stop forever comes along, then we have much bigger problem. That, and that's what we are really worried about.
1: And also, I mean, it's not just bad for you, right? It's like bad for the venue.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so usually before, what we heard is that the fine usually goes to the venue, but now it's on the organizers' risk. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they're now finding the organizers, and usually with uh, no registration, which is the occasion, which is the situation of most. Um, uh, organi- organization it yes. doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is really yeah so it's it's really personal it's like a person who would take all the risk if the fine is, uh, is like you know uh, put out it's on
1: you right and it's I'm sure it's very expensive oh man <laughs> <laughs> alright well um we'll stay safe you know and we'll keep talking
4: Okay. okay <laughs> thank you
1: Strangers in China is produced by me, Clay. It's mastered by Kaiser Kuo. And just a quick shout out to Monty at Now in Shanghai for uh, letting me use the recording studio here. You can find us on Facebook at Strangers in China. You can find us on Instagram at Strangers in China as well. You can find us on Twitter at Stranger in China. Our title track is Analytical Skeletons by Caesus. Other music today was by Evan Schaefer, Dovey, Caesar, Purple Cat, Jack Major, Lofi. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll get you a new episode in just a couple weeks. So stay tuned.